Turn in your Bibles. This is the last week that I'll have you turn here specifically. Exodus chapter 6 gives us this spiritual journey. Again, I just want to lay this out for you real quick. This is our sixth week in this series. I'll show you where we are today and where we're going over the next few weeks, building up to the, I was sitting right there on the front row um, watching my wife give announcements and Easter is staring us in the face and I'm so overwhelmed. Listen, not by everything that's got to be done, although that it happens tomorrow morning at nine o'clock when we meet for staff meeting, but over the fact that we're having to do all of this stuff. Because God loves this city and the surrounding area so much. God loves Acadiana so much that last Easter he gathered over 600 people together. And this Easter he has put it on our heart to have five services, five opportunities in a weekend to keep that third service the next weekend because he was just scraping the bucket on what he's about to get ready to do in the hearts and the lives of the people in this city. The walls are coming down across this community. And listen, God wants to do that in you and through you. He doesn't want you to be a spectator. He doesn't want you to be a fan. He wants you to be in the game, participating and following Jesus. That's why the same promise that he made available in Exodus chapter 6 is still available to us today. In verse 6, he said, I will bring you out. I will save you. We call that knowing Jesus. It's the first step. It's salvation. Before you take any other step, we believe that you've got to recognize Jesus as Savior. You've got to recognize that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift of God. In fact, you don't have to do anything else right now to be saved except for ask. You have to do nothing else. You don't have to clean anything up. You don't have to get anything right. You just have to recognize that without him, you fall short, but in him you can do all things. That's salvation. The free gift. Paul calls the free gift of God. However, that first step requires nothing but a request. After salvation there begins to become some things that we're responsible for. Some things for us to do. Last couple of weeks, we talked about finding freedom. And this is where God's divine ability meets our human effort. And we walk through the process where we begin to find freedom over things that used to cause us to fall. It's deliverance and discipleship. Maybe it happens in a moment. Maybe it happens in the mileage. Perhaps it happens in the decision, or perhaps it takes a little bit of discipleship and distance. And we told you that it will take you the rest of your life to find freedom over every single thing that God has called you to find freedom over. That you are in a process, according to Jesus' prayer, Where he is in the Father, and you are in him, and you are being made perfect. And God's not finished. He began it in salvation, but he will perfect it 
through the mileage after that moment. This, this week, I won't spend a lot of time on this, but he says next, I will redeem you. I'm going to spend the entire message on it. We call this discovering purpose. It's very simple. Where you discover who you are. And finally, next week, we're going into this Love Your Neighbor weekend with an evangelist, Joe Oden. We're going to serve you lunch. We're going to, we're going to teach Evangelism 101. And then we're going to have a Q&A about evangelism on, on how to influence other people for the sake of the gospel. We'll have child care and food just like we do with everything else because we believe that you're worth investing in so that you can understand how valuable you are to someone who is yet to be invested in. Are you with me? You represent a body of believers. You represent a host of people who are yet to have what you are currently experiencing. So just as you're on a spiritual journey, we are all called to invite others on that spiritual journey with us. We're going to talk about that more next weekend. And we're going to talk about how God takes us as His own people and uses us to impact eternity. We're going to focus on the fact that Jesus spent 40 days before His crucifixion amplifying his ministry to a level that had not yet been amplified because he wanted as many people as possible to see his crucifixion and experience his resurrection. That's why he came. And so as a church, we're going to minister. We're going to reach out. We're going to impact eternity. Many people, hear me, many Christians never make it to this cup. They never make it to this step. They never get past salvation. And if they get past salvation, they get stuck at deliverance. 87%, according to statistics, 87% of the body of Christ does not know their purpose. I'm not talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about people who believe and have confessed Jesus as Lord. If you to ask them, hey, why are you here? What is your purpose? then they're stuck in that second cup, in that second step. They're still trying to find freedom. And so they're focused on what not to do. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do that. And by the way, I don't know about you, but that was my upbringing. That was my church experience. As long as, hear me, as long as I didn't drink, as long as I didn't cuss, I wasn't immoral, I didn't lie, I was stuck on the don't. And I never understood that it was actually what God has called me to that was going to push me through. See, God didn't just tell me to quit. He told me to come on. He said, come, not stop. He said, start. And then I will author. And then through the midst of authoring, I will help you finish. He wants to redeem us. Give us a new purpose. A new reason for existing in our culture. Verse 6. He says, I will redeem you. And this is actually the only verse, only promise out of these four where he tells us how. He says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. To redeem is very simple. Just Webster Merriam defined to redeem is to buy back. Notice, to buy back. That's what God wants to do. Because He owns you whether you know it or not. 
He created you whether he gets credit or not. And what he wants to do is he wants to redeem us. He doesn't want to just save us and set us free. He wants to redeem us and buy us back. He wants to repurchase us. That was what the cross was about. I owned you in the very beginning, and one day I will have my will again. But I've given you a decision to receive the payment for the debt that did not belong to me because you belong to me. I inherit who you are. I want to repurchase you. I like this one. This is pretty simple. To change for the better. My wife is very grateful for that part of redemption in my life. That God is... I'm not get, listen, I'm not getting worse. Physically, maybe. You know, I'm not quite as what I used to be. That's all we're going to say about that. But it's, you know, there's gray hair sprouting. I, I, I don't care what ter- color it turns as long as it doesn't turn loose. Amen? That's why... <laughs> Just hang, trying to hang on, trying to hang on. It's not, I'm not losing any hair. It's just going in, coming out other places. That's all that's happening right now. I don't know why it happens that way. But, but to be in Christ is no matter what happens to this mortal, corruptible body, I'm getting better. I am becoming more and more like Jesus every day. Here's my favorite, to repair or restore to repair. You know, I, I just thought, I, I thought of, a, of an old house or an, an old vehicle. You know, there's, there's properties right now in our community, and those properties are condemned. Okay, and, and in those properties, I've seen people will repurchase that property. And they will take this piece of property that is condemned, invaluable, And they will go in and they will restore it. And that piece of property will be more valuable because of its restoration than it was in its creation in the very beginning. That's what God wants to do for you. He wants to take your illegitimacy. He wants to take your condemnation. He wants to move into the picture, repurchase what nobody else wants, and restore it to a place where everybody else will want it. That is who we serve, and that is what God does. He redeems us, and He makes us more valuable. God needs to, in order to restore us and redeem us, he needs to deal with two things, and he addresses these two things. Number one, he needs to deal with our inferiority. We have an inferiority complex. The problem that, the reason we have an inferiority complex is because we have an identity complex. So when, when we know who we are in Christ, we'll stop trying to be all these other things for all these other people. We have an inferiority. We think less of ourselves, hear me, than God thinks of us. We believe less of ourselves than God believes in us. We see way less in ourselves than God sees. That's why he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. In other words, I'm going to pull you up and position you to do more than you're giving yourself credit for being able to do. I'm going to pick you up. And most of us, hear me, most of us are one of two things. We are either much lower than we truly want to admit, or we're perfectly content 
with being as low as we are. And we should be allowing God to reach down with an outstretched arm and redeem us into a place that we don't even know we can be. Psalm 18, I mean, if anybody needed to be redeemed and restored, it was King David. I mean, this guy, he was a great king until, right? He was a great leader until. And he had this moment, but in Psalm 18, he writes, God, Lord, you stoop down. Why? To make me great. See, even David understood that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Can I tell you real quick, and some of you have heard me say this, there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. It doesn't mean that you won't sit in the presence of God and not recognize that you're a sinner, that you fall short of His glory. Condemnation shows you, look, this is what you did and there's no way out. It shows you this is what you did and you have no control over it. Hear me. Conviction is this is what you did, but here's what I did for you. I didn't just, I didn't just let you go that way. I made a way for you to get out. I made a way for you to be free. In fact, I didn't even stop there. I'm going to redeem you to more than you would have ever been had you not gone through that for the very beginning. I heard a goofy joke. I don't really think it's funny, but it illustrates the point. This guy goes into a pet store, and he's walking through the pet store, and I practice this so y'all don't laugh at me, laugh with me. He's walking through the pet store, and he, and he hears a parrot, and the parrot says, hey! And the guy turns around, and he says, me? He says, yeah, come here! And so he comes over there, and the guy says, gets close to the parrot, and he says, what? And the parrot says, you are the ugliest thing I've ever seen. And the guy turns around, he's like, appalled. You know, he goes up to the owner and he says, hey, man, your parrot is talking about me, being ugly. He called me over there. He told me I was the ugliest thing he'd ever seen. And that guy's like, man, he goes over that parrot and he slaps him in the beak a couple of times. He points his finger in his face. He says, He's, you, you are messing with my customers, man. You're making, you're making my business bad. I'm going to get rid of you if you don't stop that. Don't do that. You don't talk to people that way. So a couple of days later, guy left offended. And you know how people are about offense. They still want to come back and get what they wanted eventually. And so they came back. He came back and he's walking through the store again. And he hears, hey. He turns around the parrot. Come here. And the guy comes back over there. He's like, what? Parrot said, rock. You know what? <laughs> so, you thought it was funny. I was like, that's not funny. <laughs> Y'all thought it was funny. That's great. You know what I think? I think that the devil calls you over in the corner more than you'd like to admit. And he doesn't say a lot of stuff to you, but he looks you in the face without even saying anything. And he says, you know what? You know what? And I came to tell you today that the author of Ephesians reminded us in chapter 2 of verse 10 that we are God's masterpiece. When he made you, he didn't make a mistake. Come on, somebody. He made a masterpiece. He made a son and a daughter of the Most High God who are saved, finding freedom, redeeming, discovering their purpose, and learning how to impact eternity in a way that causes that old devil to try to get your attention so that he can distract you. 
with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. Listen, I don't believe that that's a mighty act of judgment against God's people. Because when we are obedient, we don't experience God's judgment. Do you hear me? Hear me. Listen. The righteous shall not see the wrath of God. It's not that we don't stand before him and give an account. We all will do that. We will all. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. But being in the judgment of God and being judged by God are not the same thing. See, God says, with mighty acts of judgment. I believe that's against our enemies. Because the second thing that God wants to deal with is the diversion After he deals with our inferiority complex, which the only reason that we would have an inferiority complex is if we were relying on ourselves instead of him. Because it's his outstretched arm, it's his desire, it's his ability. The second thing is the diversion, the distraction, that the enemy will try to come in and whisper in your ear. And he will try to come in, listen to me teenagers, he'll try to come in and dangle something in front of you that you're not supposed to have at a time that you're not supposed to have it. And instead of waiting in the Lord, we're waiting for God to fill our need. And those are not the same thing. See, we stay focused when we're waiting in the Lord, but we get distracted when we're waiting for him to fill our need. Because when he doesn't fill our need the way that we wanted to, we go begin to discover other ways to fill that void in other things that we were never created for. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, Paul says, we wanted very much... I had a desire in me. I wanted very much to come to you. And I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. He prevented us. We were diverted. We were distracted. Listen, I came to tell you today that Paul didn't stop writing the book of Thessalonians right there. He finished that book. In fact, he wrote another letter to that church and he sent someone who he had raised up and mentored to that church and made them better than they would have ever been. Listen to me. The devil may hold you back, but he can't hold you down. He does not have that authority in your life. You are God's masterpiece, creation in Christ Jesus to do good works. So we know, according to Romans 8.28, the same person that wrote that book in Thessalonians, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love Him. God causes it. What the devil meant for evil, God will turn to good. What the devil meant to divert you and distract you and discourage you temporarily, God will flip upside down and crush the head of that serpent. He will take it and he will exchange it into the good of those who love him and are called according to this purpose. And we will look at the temporary, but we will see the eternal. We will, although we have to abide in the temporary for a moment, we will be anointed for the eternal at all times. And that's what God wants to do. So he does that through what? Well, Romans chapter 11 verse 29 says, for the gifts, for God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. God's gifts and his call are always on his people. One version says the gift of God is without repentance. Another version says irrevocable are the gifts That word gifts in the the Greek is charismata, 
where we get charismatic, charisma. It's the gift of God that you have inside of you. It's the charisma from the creator that God desires. Well, how do we operate in that? Man, how do we experience that? Paul keeps writing, Romans 12, verse 6, in his grace. See, not of works, lest any man should boast, but in his grace. God has given us different charisma. Not like somebody else's. Not like the pastor on the platform. Not like the elder of 30 years. But like you. In His grace, God has given us different gifts. You know why we don't appreciate who we are? Because we keep comparing ourselves to people that we're not supposed to be. God is the audience. Christ is the standard. And He created you on purpose for a purpose. And in His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Did you know there are certain things I really don't do well? <laughs> like put up my clothes. I'm just saying, it's one of those things. It seems like when she's alone with all three kids, everything is fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but all of a sudden, when I'm alone with all three kids, something hits our house. And things end up in places they're not supposed to be, and they're not even out of sight. But I'm out of my mind. I mean, it happens in that instant. The first ministry position that I had, uh, the pastor, I was praying about whether I was called to ministry or whether I just thought it would be like full-time vocational call because we're all called. I'm going to take you there in a minute. But, but whether I was supposed to go into ministry full-time as a, as a vocation. And when I was praying about that, the pastor of the church that we were attending took me to breakfast and asked me to be the children's pastor. So I said, I don't know. Let me pray about it. I'm not sure that's what God wants for me. No, that's not what I did. When I was praying about it and an opportunity came up, I answered. I said, sure. Yeah, I've been praying about that. Don't pray about something. Have an opportunity to fulfill it. And then go pray about whether that opportunity... Yes, it was God, okay? You prayed. He answered. Accomplish what He called you to do. So I, I went in, but here was the opportunity. Children's ministry. <laughs> Look... I do decent with my own kids. Like One of the things my dad did really well was teach me how to be a daddy. Um, I'm not so great with your kids. I'm just saying. Like if you're looking for a babysitter, call Pastor Chris. Is it a bad idea? <laughs> just letting you know. Like I love your kids. I just don't like most of them. I'm just being honest. God didn't tell me to like them all. I, was, I don't even like mine sometimes. They don't like me back. You know? But you put me in a room full of kindergartners through fifth grade and things begin to stir in me that are not supposed to be. <laughs> there are certain things I'm not good at, but, but thank God for 120 people that are really good at children's ministry and serve in children's ministry throughout the month on a Sunday and thank God for the people who don't have my charisma, my gift, but they have their own. And there are certain things that they are... You know what I'm really not that great at? Stopping what I'm doing, 
to help somebody else. I know. I am very vision-driven, and I'm very task-oriented. So when I'm in the middle of something, and somebody comes in, unless they're dying, my response on the inside is, what? What do you need? Get, on, get in line. Take a card. Pick a number. I'll be with you. Okay? That's how I feel on the inside. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. God uses the foolish to confound the wise. Hi, <laughs> your pastor. My gift is not hospitality, but, but Mike Webb's is. He's, he's as hospitable as anybody. Pam and Don Ashford, their gift is hospitality. They don't mind dropping everything that they do to make food for a memorial. You, guys, you don't want me to cook for your memorial. telling you. You getting KFC, baby. I'm telling you. There are certain things that only some people are good at. So if God has given you the ability, and then he goes and he begins to list the abilities to prophesy, to teach, to have much faith, to give... Did you know that some of you, you're not just a, 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 a tither of what is required. You don't even just give in offerings occasionally. You have an extravagant gift of giving. You are a king. You are the provision for the vision of God in this house. And we can't get it accomplished without the king's understanding that their gift is giving and making the vision come about more quickly because they have that gift to go out and conquer and achieve and let it go back into the house and the plan of God. There are some people, we all have been given a gift. And God's promises require our pursuit. And 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, So pursue love. Pursue love. And earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Why? Because God's call is not for us to be good. God's call is not for us to be good. Listen to me. For too long, believers, Christians, and the body of Christ itself has been content with just not being bad. As long as we don't, and we're not bad, right? The pastors get in, and they use this thing as a whip instead of the life and the purpose that it is. We get in, and we we used to call it browbeating. Hellfire and brimstone. And we knew what to tell the church not to do. The only problem is an entire generation of people missed it because they got really good at not doing stuff and began to expect other people to do what they'd been called to do. Well, he told me not to, and as long as I don't, then I must be good. But hear me, God did not call you to be good. He called you to be gifted. He puts something in you that's only in you. And every, whether you give a cup of water to the least of these 
or you preach a message on a bread box 75 years ago in Chandler, Texas, and people come to it today, and the pastors are growing and learning and building a congregation. Whichever one, God didn't call you to be good. He called you to be gifted. Psalm 139, you know it, but I'm going to read it. Verse 13, New Living Translation says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You weren't made without a purpose. Thank you. One version says, I will praise you for making me so wonderfully complex. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. That's who you are. That's great. That's great. I, I believe the Scripture. The problem is, we've gotten really good at believing Scripture, but we haven't become great at believing that the Scripture is for us. So what do I do? Well, let me give you three things quickly, really. Number one, if you want to accomplish this call, number one, you've got to discover your gift. And Pastor Weston, some of our fine arts people may recognize these, discover, develop, deploy. But the reason that I use this is because it's been working for a long time. You've got to discover your gifts. It, listen, it's a great start. A great start is to recognize that you're on a journey and to truly begin to discover things about yourself. We say it this way, design is normally reveals your destiny. In other words, God created you on purpose for a purpose. And there are some things that you love that God designed you to fit into His body. And normally, people have a hard time discovering purpose because they're not looking at how God created them on purpose. There are some things about you that are not a mistake. In fact, anything good inside of you is not because you're fallen and you live in a fallen world. It was, it's because you are a masterpiece created in design for a destiny. And God put that inside of you to use you to effect not temporary things, but eternal needs. If you look at your design, it will normally reveal your destiny. Now, listen, here, here's the problem, okay? One of two things. Either one, we're just trying to fix everything all the time, and we're trying to discover our purpose and our calling, or we're not. Those are the two things. And in order to discover your gift, in order to understand your design, listen to me, you can only understand the design of something when you go to the designer, okay? That's the best way to figure out what the design is all about. You don't go to somebody else to figure out what the designer made. You don't try to figure out on your own. You may get there or you may get a version 
But you've got to go to the designer himself in order to understand the intricacies of the design. Ephesians 1, I'm reading from the message. I never do this, but I just wanted to show you the the expansion of what God wants to say in this. Verse 11, it's in Christ that we find out who we are. It's in Christ we find out who we are and our purpose and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, He had His eye on us. He had designs designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, He is, I love this, He is, when we're in Him, He is, you think you're working, but He's working. You are the benefactor of His work. And the only thing you have to do is make sure that you stay in Him and stay obedient to what He's working in you. He is working out in everything and everyone. Colossians 1 verse 16 says, for everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, everything started in Him and finds its purpose in Him. We discover who we are in Christ. We begin to discover our gift. Pursue love. We don't pursue the gift. We don't pursue the experience. We pursue the encounter with the designer. Because we understand that in experiencing and encountering the designer, we can see our design and begin to discover our destiny. Number two, once you discover it, and and that will be a, a thing that you do continually, Once you discover it, you develop your gift. You develop your gift. That's what we're here to help you with. That's what the church should be for. That's what services should be about. Pastoral staff and elders and leaders in the church. People who the Bible says, let me just read it to you, Ephesians 4 verse 7, to teach one Each one of us, grace, has been given as Christ apportioned it. The grace, remember, that God gave for the charisma in Ephesians 1. The grace that God gave for the gift. It has been apportioned as Christ apportioned it. I heard one theologian, she's a a doctoral an administrator at the Assembly of God Theological Seminary in Springfield, Missouri. She's an incredible lady. Um, she, she was, I was in a meeting with her and, and some of our district leaders, and, and she said this, this verse would have been extremely significant to the church at Ephesus because they would have understood that in Roman history, when the Romans won a victory, they would come in after the battle... And they would, they would have a parade and a big celebration. 
and the generals and the leaders who had, uh, had, who had uh, accomplished the battles and the victory, they would come in, but they would go straight to the king. Come on, see this picture with me. They would gather this big parade, and then they would go straight to the king. And then the king in the Roman Empire, the ruler, would give the gifts to each general and each person. As, they, as he apportioned the gifts. And those gifts would not just celebrate what they've done, but then it would empower them to go do more. And Jesus or Paul is using this same picture that these people in Ephesus would have understood. Like, I see what you've done. That's great. We're celebrating it. It should be celebrated. Count your victories. Celebrate your victories. But take that thing to the king because Jesus wants to give us more grace and apportion more into us. So he says in verse 7, So Christ, just as that king did that for them... So Christ gave himself, he gives the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. To what? To go on all the hospital visits, pray for all the sick people, travel, pray, study, build a church, clear the land, plan events, make the coffee, shake everybody's hand, make sure everybody feels welcome, call the people that hadn't been here in two weeks and hope that you don't offend them because they just had to skip for a few things. Certainly call the people that have been here, not been here in four weeks because they're offended that you didn't notice them. Get to know every single person that walks through the door and accomplish everything that God called the church to accomplish all by himself. No. No, that's not why this is happening. Because I'm a micromanaging minister that thinks he's the only one that can do anything. That's not why this is happening. This is happening because God has positioned in our church apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers, evangelists. To what? To equip the saints. And so my greatest celebration is not doing ministry. My greatest celebration because of the position is watching you. Watching you discover yours. It's the greatest honor that we can have as a church is to see people be saved and, and find freedom over their sin and then discover their own purpose. My greatest passion in life is not ministry. It's watching you do ministry. I'm telling you, watching one of our city leaders post a picture, and I hope this is okay, I didn't ask permission, but post a picture of Chad Andropont teaching LSUE baseball at 10 o'clock on a Sunday because we can't go. The greatest fulfillment of my week was seeing that picture of somebody else doing ministry. You know why I stand over here during prayer? Because I believe in the ministry of these people. You know, I don't go running around out in the parking lot. Because I believe in the ministry of those people. You know why I stay out of there? Because I don't want to go back there. That's why I stay out of there. Saying. He equips his people for the works of service. Number three, final thing. Deploy. Apply. Implement. Your gift. Your gift. But we do that through, we have a structure for it, but it's not the only way. It's just our way. We do that through next steps. 
We do that on the first Sunday of every Sunday of of every month except for December, January, and June and July. We do it. Whether we have one or 31, we have the first step of next steps. Connect. And we talk about salvation and connecting to the body of Christ, the vision and the mission of this church. Connect. The second step, we bring you back in. You do a disc analysis, your personality analysis, and a spiritual gifts assessment. Because I don't want to just know what your personality is. I want to know what your spiritual gift is. I want you to see how God created you. And then I want to show you in the third step, the 40 plus teams, dream teams that have been developed. Not we developed, but have been developed by people like you that walked through that process and said, hey, you know, I don't know this is a ministry or not, but we feed kids on Friday and send them home with food. And you think that that's a ministry? Do I think that's a ministry? Yeah. How much money can we invest into that every week so that babies in our community go home with food for themselves? That happened because of a dream team member catching a dream, understanding how they were designed, and now we have a team of people that do it. Every time that something rises, we find people. Because 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given charisma. God has given gifts to each of you from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Not just us. He's given you gifts. So look what he says. Manage them well so that God's generosity, that's so good, so that God's generosity can flow through you. Hebrews chapter 6. Why do we believe that that has to happen? This is the last scripture. I'm going to give you one more more power statement, then we're going to pray. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. Hear me. God is not unjust. God is not unjust. He will not forget the cup of water you gave to the least of these. He will not forget how Dustin puts the sign up at the road every day and we have families in the sanctuary that saw the welcome sign waving and said, you know what? I think I want to go to... He gets kingdom credit for putting out that sign. He will not forget the day our parking team was getting poured on and held an umbrella for somebody to come inside. He will not forget this welcome tent team with these signs waving that look silly to some people. But somebody walks up and says, you know what? I think I may actually want to go into that church. I don't know about you, but sometimes the church I grew up in, David said, I was glad when it said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Most of the time, churches I grew up in, I was sad. Like, I didn't want to go. I ain't going. You are going. I ain't going. You are going. I'm going. (laughs) Kind of how that went. Either that or I was mad. I walked in like this. Until I saw my Uncle Dan and he gave me a piece of candy. Thank you. I want to sit with Uncle Dan. He's got candy. That makes me glad. <laughs> Listen, some of you, some of you have a seat. And somebody's supposed to be sitting in it with you. 
You want to see church in a new way? Bring somebody with you. I know because when I start to pray, you're going to go like this. When I say if there's anybody in here that's never received salvation, you're not thinking about yourself anymore. You're thinking about the person that you brought. And Hebrews says, he will not forget your work. Not one thing that you do in the name of Jesus will he ever forget. Every note that you sing, every practice you show up for, every diaper you change. Come on, somebody. And the love you have shown him, look, as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Church, I'm going to help you. I'm going to heal muscular dystrophy in the church right now. The church doesn't know their purpose and the body doesn't know what to do. My purpose, God created me. Write this down and then we're going to pray. My purpose is to serve God by serving others. That's why you're here. That's what he wants to do. Before anybody gets their things, as soon as you write that down, I want you to stay right where you are. I want you to bow your head. Close your eyes. As some of you are saying, I'm not ready.